0: Welcome to A New and Ancient Story, a show dedicated to the transformation of self and society. We're moving from the story of separation to a new story of interbeing. We explore it all—technology, spirituality, agriculture, healing, economics, politics, ecology, relationships, education—because the changes that are gathering today will leave no aspect of our world untouched. For deeper engagement with these ideas, join our community at newandancientstory.net. Hello, everybody. Here I am again, Charles Eisenstein, this time joining you with Ivan Skjellium. Did I say that right?
1: Let's see. Uh, yes, it's good enough. <laughs> yeah.
0: Ivan is joining us from Norway, where on the winter solstice here, it must be extremely dark.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, today is a pretty cloudy day, and it's about 3 p.m. over here, and it is quite dark already.
0: So I was introduced to Ivan's work through um, initially Mike, Michael Rice, and he showed me this uh, inspired map that you created. That That's right. Um, It was just one of those things you look at it and you're like, okay, you couldn't just make this shit up, you know, (laughs) coming from some kind of source. It came at a time where I was entering uh, a pretty intense experience of one of the uh, landmarks on that map. So then I watched Mm. a video that you have on your website and again, it spoke to me deeply. So I I tried to get in touch with you and eventually succeeded. Uh, Thank you for joining us here. I think people will get a lot from
1: this experience. Great. Yes, it's uh, exciting to be here, Charles. Can't wait to dig in. Before we get into the map itself, um do you
0: want to just say maybe like a one or two minute version of how you discovered it?
1: Sure. Wow. The one or two minute version. I haven't really rehearsed that one yet. <laughs> That's okay. But, I mean, just the... Like, you know, I've been on a on a journey of uh, deepening uh, self inquiry and uh, awakening in my myself and in my life since my early twenties. Uh, was inspired by a life crisis back then, and I went into spirituality. You know, and I meditated a lot. Went into Tibetan Buddhism, and well, discovered by the end of my twenties that I'd been on a bit of a bypass. Mm-hmm. Been doing a lot of good stuff in terms of tapping into altered states and deepening my consciousness but still being fundamentally not okay with like the raw frontier of existence itself so then that became more of an exploration of deeper themes around identity and I discovered that I really didn't know what it means to be a man in today's world and I really didn't know anyone who seemed to know what it means to be a man in today's world and I just Entered this sort of vacuum limbo where nobody seemed to have answers to the questions that, that I had. But obviously, I discovered people and I started attending trainings and with powerful men's organizations and teachers. And I discovered the archetypes, King, Warrior, Magician, Lover, uh, several years ago, I think six years ago or something, by the Jungians, um, American Jungians, Robert Mordal Gillette. That became a pretty inspired study for me. And you know, life takes unexpected turns and it just turned out that on my website that I was running at that time, this one little article that I had on these archetypes had somehow shot at the very top of Google number one and nothing else on my side was even close to that. So it was kind of like like a a pointing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: To some truth about what I was supposed to be doing in in, uh, in my life. And really the map is the current uh, summary of all of the my understanding of archetypes, all of my movie work on MasculinityMovies.com, and my 15-year exploration of these things in my own life and with all kinds of teachers and friends and allies.
0: When I read more in Gillette's book uh, on the archetypes, it was a humiliating experience because every single one of the Shadow archetypes and boy archetypes. I was like, "Yeah, I'm doing that. Yeah, I'm doing that. Yeah, I'm doing that." And I, I recognized, you know, because each of the uh warrior, magician, lover, king archetypes has a boy version of it. Yeah, yeah. The, the boy version of the king is the hero.
1: Is that right? No, it's the divine uh, it's the, child. The divine child, right? The warrior. The hero is the boy version of the warrior.
0: That's right. Yeah, and and yeah. I. It, and it's just seeing all the ways that I was not a man uh, and even maybe recognizing certain moments in my life where I did occupy the mature male archetype. But those yeah. seemed to be exceptions to the rule. It was really, a, it's quite a trip to, to read that book. Um, it really stimulates self-inquiry and, and a desire for me, a yearning. Did you have that experience reading it as well? Or?
1: Uh, I imagine I did. I can't quite remember if I had that feeling of humiliation or, or humility, mm-hmm. but I, I definitely remember that um, I had a very powerful sense of illumination, mm-hmm. like something was starting to come alive inside of me. And I've had that with a couple of books in my life. Mm-hmm. Like Iron John and yeah. the way of the superior man long back in the days, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And well, before we go to the map, I'll ask you one more thing that I've just kind of put out there to a few people. Mm-hmm. Have you ever... So, you know, you described looking around you and finding that it seemed that nobody could answer the question, how to be a man or what is a man? Mm. Um, but have you ever encountered anybody who maybe couldn't have told you the answer, but who very strongly embodied it? And and meeting that person, uh, maybe even someone from your childhood, at least signaled to you that there is something here. That, yeah, and this guy has got something of it. This guy has something I want or is something that that I could become. Like yeah. um,
1: Absolutely, several men.
0: Does any any come to mind, or any specific incident or memory that you have where you're like, okay, this guy is embodying manhood as it appeals to me?
1: Well, the first the first guy who comes to mind, his um, ne- he's a Norwegian, French Norwegian guy, and his name is Eirik Balavon together with uh, his, um, his colleague Dog, uh, they they run this training for men in Norway and at that time it was called live the masculineted or living masculinity <laughs> and I just enter, entered into ritual space with those guys. but particularly with Erik, I I had the very strong sense of being in the present, Presence of a kind of masculinity that I hadn't yet known, and that I wanted, mm-hmm. and um, it became an imprint. And I've met many men who have become imprints of what is possible. And with time, it appears that I'm now the guy who's giving others imprints. Uh-huh. So it's very interesting how it turns turns out.
0: All right, let's let's um, look at the map now. I'm, I'm looking at the map here and there's a path that starts with the city of eternal slumber. Yeah. Yeah. What is the city of eternal slumber?
1: Well, um, I, I've noticed, I noticed it's uh it's a place who some men take offense to, you know, the, the name, the concept. Uh-huh. So, uh some of you might not like this idea of being stuck in the city of eternal slumber, but I believe it's a starting point. It's um, sort of the regular autopilot. I'm just stepping into the roles that society has prepared for me kind of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing everything by the book. You know, I'm following the template and I'm trying as best as I can to get happiness and meaning out of a very limited context for my life. And uh, I'm basically living out the days that Thoreau spoke about, you know, the the days of quiet desperation, Mm -hmm. not quite knowing why I'm here, not quite knowing what I desire, what I care about, not quite knowing how to love. And then maybe not being conscious of it but having a lot of my decisions being run by fear based on maybe more existential fear you know money or being in in the social group not not becoming an exile in any kind of way Mm -hmm. but it could also be you know a general lack of awareness of myself how is it that I'm showing up in my life?
0: And I imagine it's a restless slumber, an uneasy slumber.
1: I I would say, you know, it's 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 a slumber that's governed with, by addictions. You know, people uh, who are who are citizens of uh, City of Eternal Slumber, they need to have a lot of addictive patterns in order to sustain the the low level of awareness. You know, the minute we start stripping away the addictions, awareness comes and pain comes, and we we start burning through the bullshit, and we move towards reality. But it's it's a very common experience, it seems, to 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 be almost run by addictions in our lives.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'm going to point out here, according to my understanding. Yeah, it's it's very dangerous to categorize people into well, some people have woken up and some people haven't. That those people over there, they're still asleep, but we are conscious, we are awakened. Usually, Good. people, the only people who say that are the people who themselves are asleep, in some way, uh, and not recognizing it. Yeah, so I think it's important to understand that this whole map isn't necessarily a fully linear process, and Right. I mean, you could go through a tremendous awakening, but still be asleep in other dimensions of your life. Is that right?
1: Absolutely. And I feel almost like a sense of relief when you point that out. And I imagine some of the listeners also felt a sense of relief just now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's true. It's not a linear process. And like for a lot of the past several months, I've, i've been in the underworld we'll get to that later on on Mm -hmm. this map so depending on you know the cycles of life we we tend to be moved by nature's unfolding life's unfolding towards the different parts of the journey because it does seem like different aspects of who we are are in separate timelines in a sense yes And that when when a new aspect of us comes online, and when that becomes ready to be integrated in the overall psyche, you know, maybe maybe we're taken to uh, a stage of the journey that feels like a regression, but actually we're moving into a deepening integration of Mm -hmm. our being.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yes, and I think just to avoid, I mean, self blame. Sometimes when I become aware of processes like this, I'm like. I'll I'll tend to blame myself for being in slumber or for having addictions, Uh, but just to recognize like these addictions, there's a wisdom to them too. They allow you to maintain your survival in the presence of wounds that are too terrible to fully experience. And then Uh as, as you mature and you get stronger, the wounds rise to the surface. Yeah. Uh, In order to be experienced, and the addictions are no longer necessary, and it erupts into the surface, and a a new stage of awakening or healing is then possible.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I I like that you seem right now to be holding uh, the polarity of more care and being more generous with the human flaws, if you will, Mm -hmm. and and I find that as I take men through this journey. Mm -hmm that's a dance that I need to be ever vigilant with Mm -hmm. The level of challenge and the level of just holding their innocence and their pain and whatever is going on for them. So there needs to be a balance. I I find that I can't only be like, Oh, it's, it's okay. You know, I I see your suffering, but I do also need to bring in that sort of discernment. And Mm -hmm. I see that so much more is possible for you. Do you want to go on that journey?
0: Because there is a time where the where the addiction has finished its purpose, the wound is surfacing, and it's time to, for someone to kick your ass too. Agreed. Is the call the next thing that is that what brings you out of the city of eternal slumber? How does that work?
1: Well, this process is is not linear, as you yeah. say, you know, but it seems Joseph Campbell is the master of explaining this particular dynamic. It seems that um our soul conspires with the world life whatever to to bring about some some sort of an awakening mm-hmm. you know and the nature of that awakening is very different uh from person to person it can be a loss uh, of a relationship or a loved one it can be the loss of a job uh, it can be just some random thing that someone spoke to me on a night out in on town, you know it, it can be any any number of things, but it's that it's that pattern interrupt that for a moment brief moment opens the door of possibility ajar mm-hmm. and then and then I get to go through it or to ignore it because I'm too scared, so that's that fork in the road that we find ourselves in that we we're called and there is. There is a sense that there's some numinous, you know, there's there's something in this particular fork that that feels distinctly different to our day to day experience of of life. Mm-hmm. I've had many of these, and they've all been very different.
0: Mm-hmm. So I see it, it, it is a fork. So it's a, I guess there's a choice point of some sort here.
1: It seems that way. It seems that the fork is listen to the call or ignore it and go back to sleep. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the sleep here is really um, just ignoring that deeper calling of, of the soul. I want more for you. You know, you're ready for something bigger, something deeper, something more fulfilling. Could be a job, for instance. We've been in that job for 10 years now and it's just such a drag and I hate getting up in the morning because I'm not going anywhere with the job. But I get a paycheck. Mm-hmm. I can sustain myself so it's comfortable. And then th- that that fork in the road can come in the, in the form of an opportunity to to step out of the matrix or whatever, so to speak, you know. Mm-hmm. And And then it could be such a scary choice point to actually move into that unknown. So a man or a woman might actually choose to stay. And then what happens, it seems, is that there's a growing sense of inner unrest, dissatisfaction, and could even be self-hatred. A lot of men have contempt for themselves because they know they have so much more inside of them than they're actually living. You know, and then the, the the addictions need to be strengthened in all order to maintain status quo. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a potentially very painful journey back to to where I came from, or it's the scary journey into the unknown.
0: Right, and I, I find that the call, if you do go back to oblivion and back to the city of eternal slumber. And as you said, at greater and greater cost. Yeah. The call gets louder each time until eventually, yeah, and eventually the loudest call of all is when you're dying. So I think eventually we're destined to leave the city of eternal slumber. The question is, perhaps, do you wait until time and youth are exhausted? Or do you do it now? Yeah. And this is a thrilling and scary possibility to me mm. well let's assume that we uh listen to the call what happens then
1: well so this map just to be clear it's yeah. a map of an a, a general process that i've observed but it's also a map of a three-month journey of, of initiation that men can go on online mm-hmm. so when when anyone looks at this map they're looking at Two things at the same time. But generally, both on the three month journey and in the more general context of answering the call, I can feel it even in my body when I'm tuning into it. It's that sense of trepidation, or it's just like a little trembling at the center of my chest, you know, that holy shit, what am I moving into? It's the free fall of life. There isn't. A safety net anymore mm-hmm. and not at least not in the same way because i've i've let go i've let go of the story of the life that is good enough you know now i want the life that i'm truly meant to live and in a way i've taken taken a definitive step so i'm i'm taken into a life in which the stakes are way higher and it's almost like my whole life experience turns into an alchemical crucible where the heat is being cranked up. Hmm. You know, maybe, maybe just to give an example, to say that I'm a guy who's been working in uh, the same job for 15 years and I'm good at it, but it's not fulfilling anymore. So one day I just have this moment of madness and I resign. Yeah. Right, And then I go home, and I'm like, "Holy fuck, my whole life is gone." Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what do I do now? Yeah. And it's that moment of facing life at the more primal level of existence where survival against becomes a question how will I sustain myself in the next coming months? Mm -hmm. Um, And as I am in that unknown, it seems like resources in us human beings that we couldn't possibly have known about while we were inside of that comfortable place, they start coming online.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And that's one of the blessings of life, you know? It seems like whatever step we take there is some wisdom or intelligence in life that brings new resources into being that weren't there before we took that step
0: yes and boy would it be wouldn't it be nice if you could be guaranteed of those beforehand and you know what they were beforehand to make that step easier but it doesn't yep. work that
1: way does it you know i don't have a clear answer to that because I do feel a growing sense of trust in life mm-hmm. and that I, I can be in that field of uncertainty. And then I can start panicking and I can start, I can start grasping onto the familiar again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, then, you know, the resources don't come, but if it can keep burning in that place, I've been doing this for three years now. And again and again, life has surprised me. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to give that guarantee, that's that's right. for sure. But it does seem to come.
0: Sometimes people write me uh, after reading, I wrote a book called Sacred Economics. And one of the things I talk about is living in the gift, not just in terms of money, but also in terms of life purpose and what do you serve and seeing your life as a gift and so forth. And for some people, the book serves as the call, you know, this wake up call. So cool. they'll write me and they'll say, hey, Charles, you know, I read your book and I quit my job and I'm going to live in the gift. And I think, uh oh, because there's this idea that things will magically work out uh, in the way that the ego wants when you do that. Yeah. But it and sometimes it does. Sometimes someone will write me and they'll say, you, you cannot believe the abundance that has flowed into my life ever since I quit my job, you know, and followed my passion. But sometimes people write and they say, "Well, I did that, and now my savings are exhausted, and I still don't know what to do." And it's like they want to go back, but sometimes they can't even go back because, like, I, I reached that point in my life, you know, when in my twenties, when I, you know, I went to Yale University, you know, and and I could have joined the system and had a great career, but instead, I skipped off to Taiwan. And I spent eight years there <laughs> and doing, you know, freelance stuff and, and just stuff that wasn't resume building. And yeah. once or twice, I I tried to half-heartedly get back on the boat, but it was mm. too late. You know, I had this eight-year mm. hole in my resume and, and it was just, I applied to grad school, for example. And, and and they said, "Well, your ideas are interesting, but these are not philosophy." I'm sorry, you know. And it was just—I guess—I wonder. Maybe this is um, comes up later in the map, but this—this this letting go—it really is uncertain. It—it it, it is a, um, a place of uncertainty, and I guess some people kind of want. They think that when they listen to the call, then they automatically jump to the end of the journey but there's a lot in between here
1: this thing that you're bringing up seems to me incredibly important and and what comes to me is this that i i could be you really flippant about this whole thing and have this happy-go-lucky oh I'm, I'm gonna jump now and you know everything's gonna be fine and it doesn't come from a grounded place mm mm-hmm. And it doesn't actually come from a place of true surrender and trust. It comes from more of a superficial story about, oh, you know, how exciting the universe is or, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe some more new age uh, ideas. But we're not talking about that here. Right.
0: Fake letting go is a way to manipulate the universe into giving you what you want.
1: Oh, yeah. Wow. That's, that's yeah. Can I quote you on that? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I haven't thought about that a lot in creating this map, but I'm glad you're bringing it because it is really crucial. And, you know, on the map now, there is the forming of the fellowship and the encounter with the divine child on this particular Mm -hmm. um, stage of the journey. And I'm not going to talk about that uh, at length, but what that is really pointing to is that, as we're moving out of the city of eternal slumber, you know we are being beckoned by the call, we will start needing people in a whole new way is my experience mm-hmm. so the sense of I'm alone in the world, isolation, I can do well on my own kind of thinking it's it starts becoming really uh defeating it becomes it becomes the very thing that keeps our The door of opportunity closed. Um, So I think uh, in this particular uh, stage, we really need to start reaching out to people. We really need to start, you know, I've done something a bit crazy and I'm shit scared and I need your support and can we, you know, let's go on this journey together. Whatever it might be, so this is where we start on the on the on the training to build triads. Mm-hmm. There's also the the divine child here, which, as we already touched on, is the boy version of the. Well, here's the divine child here. <laughs>
0: the divine child has just walked into the room. <laughs>
1: That's amazing. That uh, we we uh, are faced with a level of vulnerability and innocence again. Yes, that the safe the structures of our life have kept at bay so far, but now they're back in in the open, and we will likely feel way more vulnerable
0: mm-hmm. yeah um yes, the divine child the the vulnerability, the newness of uh, feeling like you're 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 born into a world that you don't understand mm-hmm. and you're kind of helpless yeah. Uh, what am I gonna do now? I don't know. And uh, just as a baby being born needs parents and needs people to take care of him, I guess so, like you might say, you know, we also need people to receive us into that world. And I I, I speak of it often in terms of stepping into or stepping out of the old story yeah. and into the space between stories, which is a journey a yeah a journey you know to reach eventually uh, a new story emerges but that could take weeks or months or years
1: mm-hmm. i think the whole world is, is in that yeah unfolding right now
0: yep and keeps in the whole world keeps turning back to um uh, the old yeah. story yeah and the yeah. calls getting louder and louder the last yeah. financial crisis wasn't quite loud enough, but we'll see what happens in the next year or two, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so so what do we have next here?
1: Well, that's a mapmaker of the East. He's this mm-hmm. mythological character that just uh, <clears throat> appeared when I was creating this training. And on the course this week reflects, you know, when you go on a journey, Gandalf goes to the, to the library of Minas Tirith, you know? Yes. We go to seek some some sense of understanding of what it is that we're faced with. So on the on the journey, this is just a really important um, transition point where I bring a lot of powerful concepts and a set of context for the journey that we're on. So this is, in a way, in the more... Overall, gen- general storyline of of this journey, this this is a minor point, in in in, in my book, mm-hmm. just pointing to the fact that we do need to have some kind of context and some kind of a like if we had some pandits, you know, following us along, explaining, you know, so this is what's happening now. <laughs> this is that part of the journey that is always helpful. But I think uh in terms of in terms of that particular week and yeah the week on the training Mm -hmm. when when i'm really starting to bring home to these guys what it is that they've been doing to themselves and to their lives this is when you know you see it's called the path of grief the path that follows that that point on the map Mm -hmm. what that refers to is the totally miserable sentence that so many men have of rejecting their emotions and their sensitivity and their innocence. In in a misguided attempt to become, true men in the world, self-actualized beings, they censor and repress all of those qualities that archetypally lead to sovereignty because they actually they actually come from the divine child. Like so many um, uh, religion myths, like be it Jesus or Moses or... You know plenty of stories from Greek mythology and from you can find this in most religions this this idea of this, this child that's born into the world and is infinitely innocent mm-hmm. and the world wants to destroy it and somehow by grace of God you know that child is saved and gives birth to the new world mm-hmm. and uh So what most men, I would say most men, do in the attempt to be a man is that they actually play out the story of the evil forces in most of those um, mythologies, like King Herod, for instance, in the Bible, Mm -hmm. and they start attacking the very source of their power in an attempt to become powerful. Mm -hmm. This is a great tragedy, and and, uh, this Stage of the journey, the men really start getting that and they start crying and they start wailing. You know, it's like, what the fuck have I been doing to myself? Mm. That sweet, 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 sweet kid I have inside, you know, that was just so desperate to be loved when uh, I was little and is still so desperate to be loved. I'm still punishing him for not being good enough, for being sad or weak or whatever. And it's a shocking discovery for a lot of the men.
0: Yeah, And I think that this is almost inevitable in our current civilization, because in order to become a uh, contributing member of the society of the machine, the world yeah. machine, that um, those child innocent those you know divine child qualities have to be destroyed somehow you have to learn to reject pleasure and reject joy yeah uh, and to do the thing that you don't want to do and you don't care about for the sake of external rewards and and psychological rewards and to be governed by fear of punishment and the yearning for praise and approval uh, and so this this spirit wrecking program that is instituted through school through religion through parenting methods then it gets internalized and we do it to ourselves the rest of our lives Hmm. until something illuminates what we're doing. And I think that's what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is painful to touch on for me because it it just triggers a lot of grief of the state of the world where it seems like that the whole fabric of the society that we've built requires that we from an early age work to extract sovereignty from individuals yes so to actually make us into slaves because we need given the current economic model you know of consumption that makes us good consumers Mm -hmm. And I'm not one of those conspiracy theorists who thinks that there is some panel of dark men somewhere in the world who's like, (laughs) we certainly got these guys fooled. Yeah. I just think this is human folly that we are ignorantly pursuing something that is not giving us satisfaction. And we just haven't awoken to that fact yet.
0: Well, I spent ten years of my life uh, asking the question and writing a book on it. That basically was, "What is the origin of this pervasive wrongness?" uh, What you're talking about, Mm -hmm. and we could I could talk about that for a long time, but I won't do it do it now. Uh, Mm -hmm. But just to uh, thank you for acknowledging this, that this is not just a personal journey. You know, it's also has vast social, political economic implications too
1: yeah well i in one way i'm i'm a rebel you know in mm-hmm. in uh, in terms of the over like the how to put this in english the the normal mode of being in the world my my work and what i take men into is an act of rebellion mm-hmm. you know i i don't particularly uh, identify myself as a rebel but but there is something in this work that is basically saying, "Well, fuck the story that you've been given. It's given you nothing but misery. It's 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 painful as fuck. It's hellish in some way to live in this slave-like, half-asleep existence. And here I'm pointing to something different. And when we take that, we take that um, journey. We 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 become, at least in a point of transition." We can, we can start feeling like outcasts or that we're like we're not a person of society anymore. That can be scary, but it seems that if we have support and if we have courage, courage to stay sufficiently long in that stage, we eventually become leaders and people start coming to us again. You know, mm-hmm. so it's a yeah. strange.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, um, so the path of grief I see in the map leads to the haunted cemetery.
1: Yeah, the Holland Cemetery is just a a symbol for, it's essentially a mass grave for kids, which which society has created in order to keep things running. Right. So this is where we've all shoved our innocence six feet under in order to make the machine run smoothly. Mm -hmm. So this is where uh, the men sit down and, you know, pray for forgiveness and make amends and it's the last stage before they they um cross the point of no return
0: tell me about the point of no return
1: the point of no return is the entry uh or it's 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 the point of conviction that okay i'm in this journey for real i'm not just fucking around here i'm actually committed to change
0: so up until now, you still could go back to the city of eternal slumber. You,
1: you can go back at any stage of the journey. This the reason I call this the point of no return is that it's, it's actually dangerous to return in a very real way after this point. Mm-hmm. Because after, after this stage, we, we enter uh, the phase where the ego structure goes into dissolution and the current identity form that we've um, that we've held as true it starts dissolving mm-hmm. and it's 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 a process that for many men is is kicking and screaming it's like like i've been i've been named several things that aren't pretty uh, after this 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 point because so many of us are attached to the storyline that gives us pain because it's it's who we think we are, you know. Any identity structure has, it seems, a desire to live, you know. Mm-hmm. It's almost like an autonomous living being, like a program in our psyche that wants to, to maintain um, power and it wants to remain intact. And when that starts losing power, then essentially things start happening in the psyche that it, it's it's a stage of disintegration. Yes. You know, and if you leave this journey it, at the stage of disintegration, really bad things can happen to you. Mm-hmm. This is why I'm saying don't leave after this point. Mm-hmm. So this this path of initiation, path of initiation, you know, initiation being being humbled to my, or being put face to face with my arrogance, my grandiosity, my broken life strategies, everything that I use to identify me with. You know, I put my name and then that's what I put after it, you know? And it's just a storyline. And now the storyline starts dissolving and it's scary and we go into the underworld. Mm-hmm. And this is where. This is where we do a 180, which is very untypical, you know. Uh, we do a 180, uh, much like in a dream, when you're being chased by something, you know, the the, the general advice is turn around, see it, and, you know, it, it will be disarmed. In a similar way, here, we don't run away from our demons anymore in the underworld. We actually do a 180, and we welcome them. Mm-hmm. And this is a ritual space, and we go into sh- um, some pretty hardcore sh- shamanic rituals. We basically basically welcome our own death.
0: Yes, this is the video that really spoke to me that I that I saw mm-hmm. on your website. You mentioned the idea of that, that we try to sneak through the underworld, uh, and in and you're using the Lord of the Rings uh, as an allegory. Yeah, and, and they go into the mines of Moria, and they almost get through. But then at the very end, the this buried evil, this ancient evil, this demon, the Balrog, catches them. And Gandalf has no choice but to turn and face him. You think that he has defeated him and cast him into the abyss, but the Balrog then drags Gandalf down with him into the abyss what what's can you go into a bit more detail about what that looks like on a personal level, like what that process is like for us?
1: I'd love to. I think it's my most favorite topic of this whole body of work. seems to me, Charles, that at the point where we think things are going to shift generally tend to be moments of the greatest opportunity and i i might have lived a life that has been a lot about holding it together maybe always knowing that something isn't quite right and then i just i just keep working at it hoping that somehow it's going to be a little better but it doesn't get that much better but you know i'm holding it together because of the storyline that I've been given or maybe because I have a family or whatever it might be. So this is... This is that image of Gandalf hanging from the bridge at this point. You know, there's also the facing the Balrog. But the holding it together, like shifting around, trying to adjust my grip just right, that's... um, that's something that a lot of us end up doing. We just try to use the same methods, the same strategies to improve our lives. Because we can't quite muster the strength to sort of pull ourselves back up. Mm-hmm. And we don't have the courage to let go. So we get stuck in limbo, maybe for a lifetime. And this is where, in the role of an initiator on, on this training, This is where my role is to to really encourage the man to let go. And a lot of men don't want that because essentially it's a letting go into death.
0: Yeah, it's scary for real. You know, it like you said, you mentioned like everything's going to shit. Like the loss, especially from the old perspective, is real. Like Mm -hmm. you there you could go through bankruptcy and being being penniless you know you could lose your family yeah it's not child's play
1: no this is where it's it's way past the point of getting real (laughs) very real this stuff and people are right to fear it you you don't you don't go past the point of no return unless you really are committed to being all you can be in this lifetime it's it's not an easy journey to go on. But I, I love The Lord of the Rings because it's such a perfect model for what this journey is actually about. Gandalf is clearly a powerful magician, but he's not as powerful as Sauron. And he's definitely not powerful enough to take on Sauron. So what happens in this scene, metaphorically, you could say, is that is that a man takes on his own demons. And gets really real with himself in some sense. And in the act of getting real, there is a dying, there is a dropping into the abyss. And unless I do that, unless I drop as Gandalf the Grey into the abyss, I will never become Gandalf the White. And only in my reincarnated version of myself do I have the power to do what it takes. So Middle-earth would have fallen if Gandalf had not fallen. Yes.
0: And in the book, that's even clearer than in the movie. I I was uh, reading Iron John recently, Mm. and he speaks of something very similar to this, the the time of ashes. Yes. Where all of your youthful fantasies about who you are and what your life is going to be burn up. Yeah. Yeah the idea that you're going to you know win an olympic gold medal and be a billionaire by the age of 30 and and all these grandiose things and and, and for me it was this potential that i've always told that i that i had uh, this kind of grandiose vision for myself and and you know then at some point you know you get to be 35 40 45 and you realize that what your life is gonna be is what it has been, you know, what at least what your twenties, thirties and forties forties up like this stuff hasn't happened. And yeah. you're not gonna be Alexander the Great. Mm. And and so the these all of these burn up, all of these illusions burn up and you kind of roll in the ashes of them, in the yeah. ashes of humility. And only after doing that for real and really, really understanding the the that this was an illusion and that you were deceiving yourself and walking in a deception. I mean, it can even be addictive, uh, not paying attention to what's real and present in front of you because you're lost in these fantasies. And then these all burn up and and you're covered with the ashes. And only then, in my experience, have I been able to look back on my life and see what was actually really beautiful about it that I wasn't even aware of. At the time, because I was so busy, lost in a fantasy or an ambition, a vain ambition. And it's only coming through that that I can see what was truly precious in my life and in myself, too. And it was the things that that I had pushed off into the corners that I hadn't valued or appreciated and that I barely even noticed while they were happening. And that's a tremendously sad realization. To have all of that wasted time when I could have been present to to my loved ones, and and maybe in that state I even exaggerate the the loss in my in my mind, but it's very very real. That felt to me when I when I went through that, it felt to me very similar to the demon's feast that you described in in your in your video.
2: Hmm.
0: Do you think there's a a parallel there? Am I talking about the same thing or? How does that relate?
1: The first thing that comes to me when you speak is that it touches me and that I imagine that this is true for so many of us, that we go through our lives missing out on all the beauty that's there. Yeah. And uh, that the gift of an underworld journey is that the very things – that came in the way of us actually realizing that beauty they burn that's what it seems like so we we come out of the underworld with a whole new capacity to see beauty Mm -hmm. and it could be metaphorical but a lot of for a lot of the men this is a very real experience that their actual sensory experience of the world is different having been through the underworld. So colors might be brighter, you know, and it's just like, what a loss to stand at a beach at the height of summer, you know, seeing the sunset and not feeling anything.
0: Yeah. Thinking instead of the next meeting, the next day, the next speech that you're going to make, What a loss. Yeah. And how much time do I have before I have to leave the speech? Mm. Can I afford to stay here for 15 more minutes?
1: Mm. Yeah. There is this poem by Rilke. It's called The Man Watching. There's a passage in it, and I don't know if I remember it, but... It goes something like this: What we choose to fight is so tiny, what fights with us is so great. If only we would let ourselves be bent by a reed in some immense storm, we would become two and not need names. And it's, it's something—it's something about this this passage that speaks so strongly to me about the human experience that we get lost in the unimportant stuff and then everything that is truly worthwhile gets lost gets so focused on our identity our name you know to get our name up there but why do we even need this name can't we just be fully at one with life and creation
0: for me there's a huge uneasiness um When I allow myself to sink into the present moment and into the gratitude of of the small, intimate, sacred things, there's this uneasiness that goes by the title of, but Charles, you have to get busy saving the world. Because the world is in such terrible shape that only by doing big, grand things Hmm. are you possibly going to make an appreciable difference. Yeah. So for me, part of the healing that that we're talking about here is healing from a worldview that devalues the small, the intimate, the sacred, Um, Mm. and that even if you're talking, you know, even if you're not talking about making money, even if you're talking about, uh, you know, fighting climate change or something like that, you've got to do big things. You can't just you know, garden your own little plot of land and and have beautiful moments with your three year old you know you have to you have to get a big platform you have to get a big audience you have to say things very loudly okay. uh, and any time spent on the beach accomplishing nothing that is a waste of time because it doesn't add up the numbers don't add up so
1: wow that sounds shitty <laughs> <isn't> that? <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. But from the, from the logic of that worldview, yeah, it's it's you know it's very compelling logic, and that's been plaguing me for a very long time.
1: I think the danger of of being somewhat awake is the danger of carrying the world world on our shoulders. Mm-hmm. It feels like I know what you're speaking about very well. And I just happen to to be uh, stuck with some mystery illness at this stage of my life that whenever I I step into those ways of thinking and being and strategizing, my body just rejects it, like, loudly. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting how it seems like the old world, you know, the old masculine um world is is sort of burning away in in my illness now and and i yeah it's isn't it a bit like when when we go to those places charles we we just do more of the same thing that we're fighting against,
0: yeah you know, that's exactly what I think I think so much of what we think of as world saving is just making the situation worse contributing to the underlying psychic field that generates the problems. I agree. So this, this illness you're talking about, um, it seems that on the beauty path that you have on your map here, it's yeah. that often we have a companion on that path, like an illness, something that keeps us honest. I mean, I have something like that as well, a physical thing that, that if I deviate from the beauty path, it lets me know. And maybe without that, I mean, sometimes I don't listen to it uh, often.
1: It's I like a muse or something that you're talking about.
0: It's it's like a, it's almost it's not no it's not even a muse. It's it's um a guardian that if I yeah if I get if I follow something else if I follow what I used to follow, hmm. then I get physically exhausted. Yeah, I get you know an eruption of this sick state of being, I get um you know something happens to my body I mean everybody has a different thing for some people it might be their back for some it's might be their adrenal glands um, something that yeah won't let you stray even if you want to at this point
1: yeah isn't that great isn't isn't it great how the very things that we can so easily feel uh, victims of are actually the pointing out instructions towards deeper truth and deeper f- fulfillment.
0: And and then maybe that condition will only heal when you no longer need it to stay honest.
1: Yeah. I think there's some truth to that. And, uh, boy, I feel at times, you know, I, I got the message already when I'm going to be well, <laughs> So I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe once I get, well, I will have that belief strongly.
0: Maybe. And maybe we just don't know shit.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I think ultimately, uh, you know, it's easy to try and wrap everything into this nice little neat yep. logical, you know, I understand it box. But more and more, I doubt that that's how life and existence actually functions, that I'm not going to get everything worked out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that more and more that seems like a big fucking relief, you know, it's such mm-hmm. a sense of freedom. Go into that open space of opportunity and mystery.
0: Yep. You don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to know what it all means. And if you're sick, you don't have to understand the reason for the sickness. You don't have to fit it into any metaphysical paradigm. Maybe there is, maybe it's just a mystery, or maybe the intelligence that's guiding our lives is so vast that our efforts to understand it are laughable, and that's okay too. Could be. Could yeah. be. <laughs> okay, so this beauty path I see in the map, it leads to the mystic glade.
1: Yeah, I feel, I feel we've, we've already touched on important uh, topics there, you know, in terms of just pulling the veil aside and being uh, in more direct dialogue with beauty and with nature but also in this case women you know this is uh, this is is a stage of the journey when women come into the training mm. and uh, the men get to to reflect themselves in the mirror of the woman and the feminine which which brings a new flavor to it obviously mm. uh, but it's it's it really is a whole new experience of the life once i faced the demons and i'm okay with With that undercurrent of, I it could be any number of things, but like to me, so far in my life, I mean, I can I can go into places of ecstasy and and my life can feel really really fucking awesome, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the time. But uh, this this undercurrent of dissatisfaction. That something is isn't quite right. Yes, has not really ever left me, mm-hmm. even when I'm in the deepest um, sense of communion and and bliss. And maybe maybe this is just proof that I'm not yet an enlightened being. You know, <laughs> and that once I reach my enlightenment, maybe maybe that will go away. But when I when I'm sort of okay with these things so many people will try and fix everything and then beauty eludes me i can't be in real deep communion with with an be it you in this moment or my lover you know, you know because i'm so preoccupied fixing things yeah and and that goes away and this is this is the place of celebrating that and becoming more intimate
0: so it's something that you've glimpsed or had experiences of, but not, not a place that you constantly are are in right now.
1: Um, you're asking me me that.
0: Yeah, I'm just asking you because you're you're speaking of the sense of unease that never goes away. Is that yes, true is that... Of you now, or or the sense of dissatisfaction? But are are you, are you saying that once you meet the goddess and integrate that experience, then that feeling of constant unease is is gone?
1: I mean, it could be constant unease for some people. For me, it seems to be more of like constant, subtle dissatisfaction. Yes. And uh, I haven't had that go away. Uh-huh. And I, I I just think it's the, the flavor of being a human being in a limited form. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that will go away. Maybe some of my more enlightened friends have it different. But for me, this is, this is merely pointing to the fact that that being okay with these things allows for deeper intimacy. It allows for, you know, the, the imperfect experience of being human could be the doorway to something incredibly sacred.
0: Okay. So what, what does change then after the meeting with the goddess? And, and what is the meeting of with the goddess in the Mystic Glade? Because I see the path of true power follows it. So it seems like something significant happens. Well,
1: it's a blessing of sorts. It seems to me that men, as men, we need to be blessed by women. We need to be blessed by the feminine. It's like if, if we are on a path towards sovereignty and the women in our lives don't like it, something will feel off.
0: Yeah. This has come up in some of the other conversations I've recorded to to anchor the masculine in the feminine in the material in, in service to life and, and and yeah to receive its its blessing that's that's yeah. that's yeah
1: i know for myself for some reason i keep being attracted to to women that um kick my ass <laughs> yeah. and who are really good at pointing out places where I'm out of integrity or they don't fully trust my, my work or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and recently I I had an experience where, where the woman um, who has had that role in my life, my lover uh, for the past year or two, she had come to the point of like, yeah, I like your work so much. Now I trust it so much that I, 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 I consider you know, can I can I sort of follow along from the sidelines? Mm-hmm. And the moment that happened, something happened inside of me. It was almost like an alchemy that I felt a deeper sense of readiness to bring my work fully into the world when this really sharp, awake woman fully trusted or at least very deeply trusted what I was bringing. Mm hmm. You know, it's important for me and I think for most men, if we're going to give it all, to know that we're not coming from a a place of willful, egoic thinking. Yes.
0: Yeah. The image comes to mind to me of, uh, you know, corporate executive um, or, you know, the successful man in the world and his wife who maybe superficially supports him. And Mm. it's actually more that she tolerates him. Tolerates yeah. his work, and deep down doesn't really really believe in it exactly and I'm thinking right now about my my own marriage um and how lucky I am that see for me it's even that Stella and some of the other women or feminine presences in my life mm. in a in a way they believe in my work even more than I do wow, because it's amazing when I encounter these doubts I, I i either that's amazing, or I've surrounded myself with yes women who aren't calling me on my shit
1: yeah, so uh, so the feminine is just the blessing space of of grounding um the insights of the journey in some sort of a material in the body kind of way
0: hmm. Bob, this is, I'm just still kind of pausing in this uh, moment of wondering, you know, is this tremendous support I've received from the women in my life, you know, including the ones who work with me on this course, is it this tremendous, like on the one hand, it's probably, there's truth in both, you know, that when when I have this self-doubt and start questioning every motive I have and it seems like every shred of work I've ever done is just coming from ego, then they remind me, this is not true that, that, you know, that my story that this is all coming from ego is itself playing out a wound of insufficiency and unworthiness. And I guess in a sense, they're part of my fellowship or something where they're an ongoing source of this blessing. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I do, as you say, feel attracted to women who are merciless and who will call me on my shit and even will overstate the case. Wow. (laughs) I don't think I'm going to come to a conclusion here about what's going on with me, but I definitely have experienced
1: both. Well, it could be that um, what comes to me when you speak here is that we we pick the women that serve our soul's needs in some way, consciously, unconsciously. I don't know. I don't I don't know you well enough to know sort of the the, the inner obstacles that you're faced with generally. But it sounds like maybe it could be that you you don't believe in yourself self fully. Does that fit? Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. For, for because you know, for me, I, I can have that as well. But I think the bigger Achilles heel I have is of um, believing too much in myself.
0: I think maybe both go along together. Like there's a kind of a a superficial, for me sometimes a superficial self importance or grandiosity that is actually a compensation for. Not believing in myself for real right you know like i don't really believe in myself so let me put on some uh excessive display of wonderfulness to make up for it
1: (laughs) yeah i don't know all i know is that i have felt deeply served by these women in my life Mm -hmm. and that now it seems like my work has reached a point where the women the the feminine you know has are giving this work their full blessing mm-hmm. and um for me, this has been important, and it makes me trust my power more
0: okay, so that's why it's called the path of true power, because you're unconflicted in in exercising that power in bringing it into the world and doing your work
1: seems to come from a more pure place, yes. And The Lover, you know, Meeting the Goddess, it actually used used to be called Meeting the Lover. You mm-hmm. know, it's a little arbitrary how I name these things. Meeting the Goddess just made it align a bit more with Joseph Campbell's work. But this isn't really a map of the hero's journey. It's a different kind of map. Absolutely. Uh, uh, so, um basically whether we call it meeting the lover or meeting the goddess it, it it is stepping into those more sensual sensory realms of existence and when we are um in touch with that and when we're, we're in touch with our hearts you know and our emotions mm-hmm. it's safer to wield power we become safer warriors in the world
0: right because it's not based on some Kind of tower of Concepts.
1: It's not territorial, you know, it's 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 coming from a deeper sense of service or you know, it could be justice, but it could also yeah, it could be any number of worthy things.
0: And and it's not dependent on some idea that you've had being right or wrong. If it's coming from
1: very rarely it would rather come from a more embodied like just arising out of my core. Mm -hmm. as as a deep impulse a lot of guys you know they try to navigate their lives through the ideas that pop up in their heads but by the end the underworld journey has come to an end most of that has been brought to light
0: yes so let's move on to the uh uh, the last couple things here um Path of power here leads to the valley of the black knight
1: yeah the valley of the black knight oh my god there's so much to talk about in this map, you know. <laughs> yeah, I
0: know. <laughs> and, I mean, people can can maybe take your whole course or do your workshops or something, you know, to get a deeper experience of it. But I, I this is, I'm, I'm yeah, so curious about this one.
1: Valley of the Black Knight. Well, if you've read Iron John, you 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 know about the red and the white and the black knights. Yes. Every one of these places on the map, I have a pretty vivid image. Somewhere inside of me of what this place looks like, and this place there's like a mountain on each side, and there is some sort of an arena hmm. between them and we're we're headed for some kind of war we might be anyway, and then, in order for for us to um, deserve. You know, or or be warriors that can be trusted to have a, a, um, the right kind of impact—the impact for good. In that war, we need to pass through the arena of this grandmaster, the Black Knight, and he's he's a black. The Black Knight has integrated the red and the white, which means he's integrated the red primal fires of the masculine where rage and violence and power and territorialism lives Mm -hmm. and the white where justice and nobility and honor and integrity lives so many men today haven't uh, integrated their red so they have become white knights and idealists and possibly activists but but often uh, these guys aren't able to see how so much of what they see in the world is a projection of their own disowned inner red. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so what happens in this stage, hopefully, I mean, this is, this is obviously a long process, but the Black Knight points to the integration of these more primal fires of the masculine and these more refined idealistic values of the masculine. In, as one, a synthesis of power and, and nobility, so to speak. And that, that needs to happen for a man to become fully empowered in himself.
0: Hmm. Oh, that rings true to me. <laughs> and it makes me feel like, wow, I have a long, long, long road ahead of me.
1: With the red, huh? Yeah, mm. yeah, that's where most of us more postmodern guys have the work. Same here. Mm. I get curious if if you see that right now, how, how some of your work has come from projection.
0: Mm. Well, what, what was coming to mind more is not so much my work as my uh, way I've been a father. Okay. And in iron john he, he mentions this kind of casual brutality of the male the hmm. father fox that throws the kits out of the den when the time has come mercilessly
2: hmm.
0: and doesn't consult with them and ask them if they're ready to be thrown out on their own hmm. and
1: have you, know, you done that or have you not done that
0: i feel like i haven't done that um and, you know, there's, that's an extreme example of it, but, you know, just like laying down the law, you know, and being okay with being thought an asshole and being, yeah. you know, rebelled against and, you know, trying instead to be a nice guy. Yeah. And in my work too, like I sometimes ask myself, how much of this am I doing just so that the whole world likes me? And then, of course, rebelling against that by saying some outrageous things that I know are going to invite harsh criticism and almost feeling gleeful about that. But does that really serve either? Anyway, just a lot of thoughts going through my head about this integrating power and aggression.
1: What I like about the way you're, you're showing up this interview is how you seem so willing to do self-reflection as we go along. I'm really enjoying that.
0: Well, it is a bit weird knowing that many people will listen to this, but you know what? (laughs) I've I've, I'm probably not probably there are zones of self-reflection. I could go into that would not feel safe. So I think it's still, it may sound that I'm being, very vulnerable and authentic, but I think I'm still dancing not too far from my comfort zone.
1: Hmm. I have the sense that it is possible for us to go deeper somehow. but I don't quite know how.
0: Well, this is, uh, yes, I agree. But perhaps in a future conversation.
1: Yeah. I don't mean specifically about your own process. Mm. Just it's almost like I'm I'm yearning for feeling that presence of grace in our conversation. And and it feels to me like I'm being a little bit um like taking things for granted more than allowing myself to be surprised by the mystery of this journey.
0: I'm very because clear. That, I'm very clear that this conversation is going to have a very powerful effect. Hmm. On many people who hear it. It's having a, an effect on me.
1: Yeah because I'm just and just I believe you and I I, I just care so talking deeply about this work and and to me there is nothing i want more than for men thousands of men to start waking up and bringing their gifts to the world and and i haven't been feeling that so much and and i'm just i'm noticing that in myself The level of care that I actually have, the level of love and passion I have for this work, is just enormous. Mm. And I want that to be known. Mm. And I feel it more now. I believe you. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) How about we move on to the Temple of Unification?
0: Yes. The path of paradox leads to it. I see. It's a,
1: it's a tricky experience because essentially we're looking at a map of what is essentially a noble. I think that's that's the, the slight source of struggle that I, ha- I have. That, yes, there are general tendencies on this journey that can be mapped out. But ultimately, the truth of the journeys that will go on is will remain mysterious and nonlinear linear and and I just like keeping that mystery open as we Charles and I we map it out for you guys is important to me um but like I, this temple of unification and the path of paradox this is probably um uh, the single biggest source of struggle and challenge in the lives of men, it's the conflict of the lover and the warrior It's a conflict of power and sensitivity and like, oh, will I be weak if I cry now, or will i will i you know will I be weak if I don't cry now because I'm not in touch with my no. emotions will i will I be abusive if I get angry now, will I be?" You know will I be a coward if I don't get angry now uh, will i uh, you know it just gets messy fucking fast for guys when we're in this dilemma and um I believe it's it's the the, the single you know the, the, there's such a polarity it's it's really a polarity of doing and being uh, or or feeling right and and they seem so polar opposite doing and being how can they be unified how can they be how can a synthesis be found but really there is a place where they become one and the doing moves out of being and and the the seeming impossibility of bridge these two qualities it actually happens and it happens on this journey in the temple of unification. And if if every man could just put this internal mindfuck to rest once and for all, I think we'd have a very different world. <laughs> you know, and I see it with all of the guys on the training, especially around, yeah, it, it is a, around grief and anger. It's the two most challenging emotions, grief and anger. Some men have 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 it easier with grief. Some have it easier with anger. And I know there is a general theory out there that most men have it easier with anger, and grief is sort of the more, more repressed uh, feeling. But I haven't found that to be true across the board. And I mm-hmm. haven't found that to be true even in myself. So it's it's more
0: that's kind of a stereotype. But I I I, I do feel like a lot of younger men, especially. Um, Really have trouble expressing
1: anger. I think it's the stereotype of the machismo American culture, the cowboy, you know, the hero kind of culture. But then um, we've had such a a long time now with a more postmodern, sensitive male, you know, and a lot of a lot of these what David Data would call second stage men are actually more comfortable with grief (laughs) than with anger. Mm-hmm. Because how could I possibly abuse someone with my grief? Right. And, I mean, it's totally possible. You can completely abuse someone with your grief, but it's not as easy to see that.
0: And the idea also, like, that. well, you're the male oppressor. You know, what do you have to be angry about? Your anger is not valid, which doesn't recognize the uh, spirit-breaking process that has to happen to conform a man to the patriarchal culture to begin with.
1: Mm-hmm. And... It, Anytime time I hear the word patriarchy, I, I tense up a little bit, and I don't uh, want to go deeper.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, because there's there's so much baggage in that word, word, and a lot of it I don't agree with. Yes, that it comes more out of some sort of a bitter feminism, and uh, a lot of demonizing men. But sure, there there has been a patriarchy.
0: It, it, it yeah, definitely that that word is such a it's a trigger word that invokes an entire it invokes a very huge, complicated conversation. And I'm a little bit pretty to the details of that conversation, but um that's not what this course is about.
1: No, it's not. I could I could totally start speaking about that for an hour now, but I don't want to <laughs> yes maybe another time. Political
0: oh, Yeah. Then we um, have- <laughs> so is there, is there anything else? You, I mean, to me, this this what really spoke to me with what you were saying was basically: is it okay to be angry right now, or is that violent? You know, that that kind of dilemma you were speaking of. You know, wow. When is it strong to um, contain my emotions and not to be uh, in reactivity to them, or not to be? And when is it? And when is that just fake?
1: You
0: know. Yeah. Um, I've got a three-year-old
1: in my lap. How adorable is this? I've never, I've never experienced this in an interview, Charles. Yeah. One of a kind. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's so easy to get lost in the ideals of culture and the storylines of my upbringing and childhood and. I mean, there's a lot of good research on this. Robert Keegan speaks about the five five stages, you know, the uh-huh. third order of consciousness is the socialized mind, which is essentially what we're talking about here, where we're just trying to conform to the, the social storyline that we're born into. But then we grow into the self, um, self-authoring mind where we're more autonomous and we can create our own stories. Yeah and that's that's a big step for a lot of for a lot of the men that's what we're speaking about here uh but there's a fifth step which is just the self transforming mind mm-hmm. which is i which is where we are running this training which is way more mysterious and in in the self transforming space in this higher stage of consciousness we just there is more of a just being a the way it feels to me anyway, to the extent that I have mastered this form of consciousness, which is a little on and off depending on my level of resources in the moment
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's it's feels more like just being a channel for life to express itself through me or being the blank canvas on which life is painted you mm-hmm. know and and the 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 stories about is this emotion mm-hmm. right or wrong it, no. it, starts dropping fully yes. and it's still not as also not from this autonomous i centered i can do whatever i want kind of place it's, it's just more of a flow yes
0: i understand it's 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 not and it's not like you've you know figured out the answer to, the, to those questions about when is it okay when it isn't okay and so on no. so the questions become irrelevant
1: exactly <laughs> yeah
0: um, and uh, you know this this whole map of, like, you know, the, the self actualizing yeah. stage or whatever the self self transforming stage implicit in a lot of these maps is kind of a meta assumption that all of this is something that the separate self, the, the skin encapsulated soul, uh, accomplishes or does. Uh, but I think that I firmly believe that. Um, and you actually hinted at it with when you said it depends on the resources you have available. That ultimately this is something that happens in some kind of community, that the resources of an isolated self are, are always insufficient to accomplish. Yeah.
1: I mean that's why this journey starts with the reaching out and brotherhood. Yeah. It's, that, it's absolutely essential. It's such a trap to figure it try and figure it out on your own. Yes. Yeah.
0: Well, after the Temple of Unification, I see in the map uncharted territory and land of the risen king.
1: Well, I gotta keep something secret when I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to fill the uh, a training, right? That's right. So you can have,
0: <laughs> have the platinum class or something.
1: <laughs> well there are there is there is quite a bit that happens after this point. And frankly, every time I run this training, I am open to every week changing. Mm. And uh, like the whole the whole training changing uh so at least not at this stage of this work, I don't want to become so formalized that um the work uh becomes strategic in a way, it becomes linear, it becomes predictable. I fucking hate that when things become predictable, so this isn't a predictable journey, even this time you know i had i had to add a whole week that i didn't know existed before i started the training <laughs> yeah so essentially what i'm uh, what i'm open to always is that i don't know what the next week brings mm-hmm. and um, so even this time you know i'm uh, just before the 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 end point of the charted territory so i'm i'm curious to find what is after but quite likely it will involve lineage work, karmic uh, karmic work with my lineage, mm-hmm. and to discover something quite magical. I think this is, is such an amazing opportunity for healing. To realize that so much vision and so much.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's it's <laughs> well even in this moment, right? I could try and press on and pretend that there's not this three-year-old laughing and giggling right there. And that would be more of like a traditional, you know, let's get shit done here, Charles, uh, way of doing things. And I believe this is uh, what we're both interested in, a masculinity that can include life. As yes. it arises, you Absolutely. know. Yeah. And even though I am distracted, and I know that you are distracted, this is yeah. this is life. <laughs>
0: I'm okay with being distracted now, because because I feel like actually we pretty much um, have the conversation we were meant to have. Okay. We we are in, in uncharted territory wow. now. Um, it's true. <laughs> and I really, you know, sometimes I did one other course called the space between stories uh, earlier this year. And I think it was a good experience for most people, but some people quit or, you know, were very critical because they said it wasn't very professional. Okay. Uh, so here we have an example of, of, you know, like, like I should be in a studio right now, you know, I should have. Anyway, but I think I think yeah. actually it's quite perfect. Um, and the idea of professionalism as being something separated from the uh, messiness of life, which often involves children. Mm-hmm. Is becoming obsolete, and you need to integrate. So, but I'll, I'm kind of taking this as a signal that maybe our conversation is almost finished.
1: <laughs> your mission is now a three-year-old. <laughs> yes,
0: and and yeah. uh, but I do want to. Um,
1: it, it does feel like we need to wrap something up here, or I want to wrap something up.
0: Yeah, and and maybe point us toward uh, how we can uh, learn more about your work and that kind of thing.
1: Well. I run this three month training uh, twice a year and uh, I will be developing a home study program quite likely in the early stages of 2016 if my energy level allows Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and that will probably be called the reclaim your inner throne reality reboot. So that will be, that will be exciting for me. It's a very different way of working and the intention is for that to become a way of taking the red pill and preparing, you know, and to to get face to face with the, the realities of life and to 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 understand the contexts of suffering and pain and joy and you know to to really have an opportunity to to find some sense of my life from from the comforts of my own home. So that would be something that People will be able to do themselves. Uh, I think uh, essentially it will it will lead to a greater sense of being at home in themselves and in the world. And obviously, the the purpose with the reclaiming your throne initiation is to take men into their sovereignty, ultimately to help them find their life purpose, and then eventually also helping them offer it because yes. i have i have um, a membership program called knights of the vanguard and that's where men who have been on Reclaiming Area throne get ongoing support to to develop and to offer their gifts you know so uh, Reclaiming your Inner throne is not just a set of courses it's a whole ecosystem of growth where you can go mm-hmm. on the whole journey inside of this ecosystem if you like okay uh, and it's very exciting uh, to me um, oh, oh.
0: Oh, definitely. Put, we'll, we'll put the link on, um, on our website, and I'm sure people could also just Google Reclaim Your Inner Throne and find
1: They can. You know, it's inner-throne.com, and when they go there, it's, my website is still fairly simple. Um, most, most, most of my marketing has been through emails, so mm-hmm. by the time your people listen to this, it may still be simple, and what they will see there is basically just a free video training, and they can yeah. sign up to that you know and it's 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 a training that a lot of men find really exciting and get a lot Mm -hmm. of inspiration from
0: well you know like like many um other people who i've spoken to for this course yeah uh, you're not someone who's like really well known your website isn't really slick but that's because you're so on the edge that you haven't had time to become well known and you can't be bothered to make it slick because you're really committed to the work itself and well,
1: that, it's true. It's true. It's, it's true. You know, I've had I've had to channel all of my energy into actually developing the work. Marketing, you know, that's important to fill the programs, but the programs have been filled, so everything's fine. You know. <laughs> so now, now I just uh, need to find the time to you know become slick soon. <laughs>
0: no, I don't think you need to do that. I mean, I I I feel like for me at least, your your work just radiates authenticity and. I just feel grateful to have even come across it, and yeah,
2: sweet, thank you.
0: I'm just, yeah, I'm just being honest here. I really, yeah. uh, People ask me all the time to promote their work. Can you send this out to your list? Can you put put this on your Facebook page? And I say, but I never will do that as a response to a request. I want people to know that if I promote something or link to something, it's because I'm. So excited about it that I just want to make this available to the world I don't do it as a system of trading favors and yours is one thing that I feel unconflicted about introducing to people and so really happy to yeah, happy to do that
1: and That's to And I'm really really wonderful
0: really thankful that you've um, made the time to join us for our little course here
1: I love what you just said I feel very similarly about it I don't care much for the the world of affiliate marketing, you know, it's it's okay, but those huge marketing machines that just keep pumping out emails because someone is going to make money from it—it's not satisfying, you know. I, I'm offering this work with a deep uh, intention of bringing service to the men and to the world, and and I believe that there is some sort of a paradigm shift happening, where I imagine, I imagine that. Work that is coming from this place that we're speaking about now, Charles, is going to start becoming more and more important because people are mm-hmm. tired of being sold to. I think and they just they just want someone to uh, take them seriously and to really honestly want to serve them and their lives. and And I hope that that spirit has been conveyed.
0: Yes, um, it, it it has been clearly conveyed. And I think that I'm just going to finish with a kind of macro level yeah. observation that right now, perhaps in the lull before the storm, the call out of the city of eternal slumber is going to intensify for millions, hundreds of millions of men as our global systems break down, mm-hmm. economic systems and and you know ecological systems. External and the internal mirror each other. Uh, And we are in a time of tremendous transition that invades people's personal lives. You know, when the economy breaks down, it's not just something out there. Often it will land as a crisis in, in one's own life. And so I think that what you are preparing here in the far margins of our culture, it will someday no longer be marginal
1: yeah it feels it feels like a vanguard it really does it feels like the beginning of the right kind of army it has to I be love, that way for, I love that
0: for our world to make it through so yeah so this again has been Charles Eisenstein in conversation with Ivan Skellum for for masculinity a new story this has been a new and ancient story with your host me Charles Eisenstein this is entirely a gift-based podcast by that, I mean I never market to subscribers or withhold premium content for a price or do affiliate marketing or have advertising on my site. None of that. Instead, I rely on supporters. If you would like to support this work, you can subscribe at newandancientstory.net for a small monthly amount. Uh, you can also subscribe for free. Either way, you will be notified automatically every time a new podcast episode comes out at the same site you can also find archived episodes along with my blog which is also called a new and ancient story the rest of my work essays articles books videos recordings things like that are mostly on my other site charleseisenstein.net so thank you very much for listening i'll be with you again next time